0: it's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life.
1: Well, good morning, Portico. Good morning. It is great to have you here. And how many are excited about Christmas? Good. How many of you are excited about the snow? A little less. Welcome, Portico Online. Hey, in the room, give a big hand so they can hear you clapping for everybody that's joining us online today. So let's jump right in. We're in a brand new series. It's going to be called Celebrating Our Heritage, Embracing Our Future. It's a Canada 150 Christmas. Open up your app. Get out your Bible. Get out your notes. We're starting a four-week series, and we are going to have a great month, and I'm so glad that you're here to be a part of it. So as we get going today, just uh, so you're aware, we're combining. We are connected to Portico Milton, Portico Espanol, and Portico Online. We are one church, one message, many expressions, and today we're kicking off the series with this united beginning at the start of our message, and so it is so good to have everybody online, everybody in Milton and Espanol, and everybody here at Particle Mississauga. Give yourselves all a big hand. You're part of a really, really big group of people today. All right, well, let's jump in. So we're going to talk about celebrating our heritage. Those of you that know me well, you know that you've heard me tell the story. I was born in Alberta. That is the Prairie Provinces of Canada. I spent my formative years running through grain fields, coolies, and valleys, and streams, I loved living in Alberta. We moved to British Columbia, sea to sky, beautiful lakes and streams and mountains and forests. It was the Four Seasons Playgrounds of Canada. Then I moved to Ontario. I now live in Ontario. Yes, I don't fly in for the weekends. I live in Ontario. It is the place of great lakes, great cities, and great people. Not bad, not bad. I was wondering if you could get that one. So I visited the central provinces, I visited the territories, and I've been to the East Coast. I love our nation. And we're in the middle of celebrating our 150 years as a nation. When I travel internationally, I am proud to tell everyone that I am a Canadian. I love hearing our national anthem. When I hear our national anthem begin, my heart swells with pride. We... Are Canada. We are the true North. We are strong and free. We are Canadians. My name is Doug Ryan and I'm running for Prime Minister of this country. (laughs) Not really, but I do love our country, in case you're wondering. I really do. I think Canada is a fantastic nation. Do we have challenges? Yes, we do. But I am so glad that I live in this nation. I'm so glad you're part of our country as well. So, why are we talking about Canada? in Portico on a Sunday morning? Well, thank you for asking that. Even if you didn't do it out loud, I'm going to answer the question for you. If you were to carefully research our Canadian heritage... Go back 150 years, start to look through how we track through parliamentary legislative assemblies into our city development, our school development, and into our societal development. Here's what I think you would discover. There are bedrock virtues that we esteem, hold, and protect that are at the foundation of our society. Now, we may not always verbally identify them, and we may not have them published in a book, but I believe that they are there. These virtues are what I call the cornerstone, not only of Canada, but of any great society. Every great nation should uphold these virtues. In fact, all nations and all humanity must strive to affirm, to honor, and to to defend these virtues. Now, if I were to ask you, could you name four, just even four virtues of a great society, I think many of you probably could identify them. And I know there are more than four, but we're going to look over the next month at four that we really discover right within the framework of our country. They are diversity, equality, freedom, and opportunity. You could easily sit down and begin to look at our nation, and go, that is fundamental to who we are. We believe in diversity. We believe in equality. We believe in freedom. We believe in opportunity. In fact, that's why you're here. That's why I'm here. That's why our forefathers founded the country the way that they did. Now, why are we talking about these? As we go through this month, here's what I want you to understand. These are not uniquely a societal or a Canadian foundation. In fact, what I would challenge you to consider is that these virtues are in fact embedded within the very essence of God's character, that diversity and freedom and equality and opportunity are exactly the expression of who God is. He has enfolded them within His creation, and friends, when you think about His salvation, they are expressed through the very gift of Jesus Christ, So as these virtues are the foundation of our society, I want to challenge you to think about the fact that every time you will say Merry Christmas this year, you are in fact underscoring these virtues, that within the Christmas story, the very narrative of Christmas, I believe that God has conveyed to humanity the principles of diversity, equality, freedom, and opportunity And maybe you've never thought of them that way before, but I want to make sure that we together as a church community, that we celebrate our heritage, we embrace our future, and that we boldly proclaim our faith because not only are we Canadian, but we are followers of Christ. And as followers of Christ, we celebrate who we are. So today we want to begin with diversity. Now, if I put that word up on the screen... It's a very interesting word because there are myriads of thoughts, opinions, perspectives on this subject. In fact, you'll get all kinds of bloggers that will weigh in. You'll get social media input onto this. But when you think about diversity, I would propose to you that the true grandeur of diversity is only possible because of Jesus Christ. No one else can speak to this except because of what Christ has done for us and because of Christmas. Now, how do I convey the wonder of diversity? How do we begin to understand and comprehend? So one of the things I thought would be rather interesting today would be to step back and do something that all of us are doing. We're listening to seasonal music, but to do it today visually and to watch a video that will not only present music, but it will present it through the gift of diversity. Different people, different culture, different tone, different skill. Watch the screens. Yeah, wow. That, uh, that by the way, that was pentatonics. in case you were wondering who that was. And that is a remarkable expression of diversity, not only of musical capacity and gender and cultural background, but to blended together brings unbelievable strength. Now, to be honest with you, I thought that I would get Pastor Josh, Pastor Joe, Pastor Janine, and myself to sing that for you today. <laughs> But that could result in a disaster, so we decided that diversity was better than disaster, so we opted with pentatonics. Today, so as we talk about this diversity, I want to make sure that we're tracking along together. If you have your notes, I want you to fill in the blank. Here's the first thing I'd share with you. Diversity is at the heart of the message of Christmas. When you think about the story and the narrative, you cannot escape the reality that diversity is in fact embedded right within the message. Now, I'm going to show you this in a few minutes, but a couple of questions for you. How many remember what last weekend, last Friday was? Remember Black Friday? Anybody know what that was? How many of you participated? Let's be honest. Come on, you got out. Oh, nobody went shopping. Oh, thank you. Uh, We just need one in here. Black Friday. People, People line up. They get up early. They go shopping on Black Friday. They get into fist fights so that they can say Merry Christmas to one another and give those gifts to each other after it's all over and done. But I love our society. It's getting so much better because now that they're realizing that many people don't want to, in fact, they start on Thursday now, not just on Friday. So many people don't want to do that. So now we've moved things forward to Monday, and it's called... Whoa, look where you people were on Cyber Monday. I'm telling you, Joe, now I know what everybody is up to on the Monday around here. So Cyber Monday is, man, you don't even have to get out of bed. You don't have to get out of your pajamas. Just have your Visa card and your computer or your, your laptop or your Android device, and you can start shopping. Do you know what was listed among the top-selling products on Cyber Monday? Anybody want to guess? Sorry? Give it a shout-out. TV? No? iPhones. Oh, maybe. I don't know about the iPhones. Possibly. Do you know what was ranked? I'm going to show you. Here's a picture. Among the top-selling products on Cyber Monday was Ancestry DNA kits. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. In one day, in one day, Cyber Monday, they sold 700% more in that day than the entire holiday period last year. People want to know their background. This is amazing. You can spit in a tube and find out who you are. That's what this is all about. Howard Hochnauser, he's the interim CEO. He goes, it's no longer a niche market. So now that people are signing up and they want to know who are they connected to. And I love this. How many of you have done this? You've kind of traced your background. It's okay. You can be honest about it. It's good to know your family tree, whether there's nuts and berries in there. It's all there. So we want to know who our family tree is. Now you've heard me, know, uh, you know, I'm a comp- we're all a compilation of something. So I, I think in my background there's some pretty good strong Scottish roots, and so I thought it would be good for me to do the DNA testing or at least to find out who I am. Because in my mind, I am connected to some noble people, some heroes, right? Aren't you? Like this guy, look at this screen. I'm sure, I'm sure he's in my family lineage somewhere. Someday you're going to see me paint my face and come out here and go, come on, freedom, let's do this. And so I thought, well, spit in the tube, Doug, and find out who you are. And so we tried it out, and look at the picture that came back. (laughs) If you're new to Canada and you go, what does Heinz 57 have to do with anything today? Well, this is what we call a dog that we can't figure out any kind of breed. We go, well, he's kind of a Heinz 57. How many of you are with me? We're just, yeah, we're mutts. Okay, there you go. So why are we talking about ancestry? Well, wouldn't it be interesting if we could discover the ancestry of Jesus? Now, thankfully, we don't need Jesus to spit into a test tube because the Bible actually has a very, very succinct record of Jesus' ancestry. If you look in the Scriptures, and I've listed the references for you, Matthew chapter 1, from 1 to 13 and over in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38, two gospel writers actually elaborate very, very succinctly the ancestral lineage of Jesus. And so when you start to look at this, you realize these detailed accounts provide some information. Now, I thought it would be good for us to actually spend a few moments. Would you be okay if we actually looked at his genealogy for a moment? Would that be all right? Yeah. Okay, so open your Bibles up. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start to read it. Verse 1. Everybody with me? Okay, still pretty quiet in the room. So there's four of us now. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to go to verse 1, and here's what it says. This is Matthew. He said, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. You know how you start to wane after a little while? And you keep going because you're, you know, you're determined to read the Bible. Judah, the father of Pharaoh, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And you're going, I have no idea who these people are. Pharaoh is the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. And then you quit reading. Have you ever done that? Thank you. Because we do. I get into Leviticus and Exodus, and I start reading lists of names, and I go, oh, skip forward, Fast forward, let's get down past the list. And then we get into the story, and we go to Matthew, and this is how the birth of Jesus came to be. And we go, why did that start so late in the chapter? Why couldn't that be chapter 1, verse 1? Why did Matthew have to do this? And so we're always tempted to skip over The lineage markers. Now, there's some very, very important information that's given here, and I want to just share with you quickly. Matthew, so if you read Matthew's ancestral lineage, he was very specific. What does he do? He ties Jesus back to the Abraham covenant. He goes, you need to understand that this Jesus that I'm going to tell you about, his lineage goes back, To Abraham, the covenant that God gave to Abraham when God says, I have a purpose, I have a plan, and I am going to bring redemption to humanity and through the covenant with Abraham, the covenant of faith. He goes, Jesus is connected to that. And even more importantly, tied into that or equally important to the story is he shows that there is the Davidic lineage there that he's tied to the root of David. So this kingly messianic Individual that Israel was longing for is in fact Jesus Christ. That's what Matthew is showing us. So, why does Luke go to such great lengths putting his names and he does something else? Luke goes all the way back to Adam. So, he actually goes even further. He gets behind Abraham and he goes, Why would he do that? Because Luke wanted us to know something. Not only did Jesus have the rightful claim to the messianic throne, he goes, But he is in fact linked to humanity. He is the son of Adam. He is, more importantly, the son of God. And we go, whoa, that's why it's so important to understand ancestral histories. Now, candidly, you go, thanks, Doug, good information. I'm going to go away and go, good to know that Jesus has the right to the throne. Good to know that Jesus is the son of God. What does all of this have to do with this whole topic of diversity thank you for asking. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew records, including Jesus and Mary, Matthew records 42 names, five of whom are women. Now, we don't think anything about that. That's not all that unusual to look at a family tree and include the names of women. But who was Matthew? What was his cultural background? Matthew was? He was Jewish. So in Jewish culture, They wouldn't give any kind of reference or homage to women. They would keep it pure. They would mention the men. And yet, what you have with Matthew is a deviation from their practice. In his Jewish world, this was highly unusual. Women were not listed or mentioned. Typically, it would only be the men. And furthermore, the very women that he chooses to mention are unusual. Now watch carefully. If your Bibles are still open in Matthew chapter 1, he mentions a woman by the name of Tamar. Or Tamar. This is a woman who disguised herself as a prostitute in order to seduce her father-in-law. Probably not the best practice. Then there's Rahab. Rahab was a citizen of the city of Jericho. She was a prostitute. She aided and abetted the Jewish people in conquering her own city. Then you have Ruth, who was a Gentile, a Moabite. She was rather forward and went and laid at the feet of Boaz. Then you have, well, we don't even tell her name anymore. We just say that she was the wife of Uriah, who was Bathsheba. So Matthew, even Matthew's going like, I don't know, I can't say her name. She wasn't that good of a woman, neither were the first three, but anyhow, here you go, the wife of Uriah that is called Bathsheba, and she was the one that got into adultery with David, and then you have, well, thankfully, he mentions Mary, that was good, right? He redeems it by mentioning Mary, oh, that's right, she's that young girl that got involved in some kind of promiscuous relationship, and she was pledged to be married, and so now we have a scandal going on. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, includes all of these individuals. And you go, why would Matthew do this? See, most genealogies were intended to be uh, authentic and pure. They were meant to authenticate the ethnic purity and social standing of people. So if you're listening to genealogy, you wanted to make sure you eliminated anybody that you didn't want. I mean, nobody wants to have their genealogy and find the son of Sam listed in your background, do you? Okay, just it was an option. We want to make sure people prefer to have the heroes. In fact, here's what we know from history. According to Roman literature, it was a common practice that if you wanted to authenticate your ethnic purity and gain social standing, you could hire people who would craft personal genealogies for you. So it would be like a modern-day version of Google. You could do your own. So you could pay somebody to come along and they go, well, who do you want to be connected to in the Roman pantheon of gods? Who's the person you would like to connect yourself to? And then they would build this genealogy for you. So that was the practice. It was to esteem yourself in social standing and honor among people. And yet Matthew comes along. And when it comes to Jesus, it's like all the rules are thrown out. And he begins to compose something that most people go, why would you list those women of all people? And why would you compromise our practice? And here's what we know. That through Christ... God was changing the entire playing field of humanity. God was messing things up. He was upsetting social aristocracy. He was demolishing gender barriers. He was removing ethnic exclusivity. God was bringing all people to himself through Jesus Christ because diversity was going to be God's trump card. He goes, everybody everybody's going to be welcome. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, 17 and 18. It says this, that God brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were once very far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. So when you look at this ancestral passage, here's what I want you to take away today. When you open up Matthew chapter 1 and you start to read through this list of verse, or you go to Luke chapter 3, verse 23 to 38, and you start to read through that list, here's what I want you to keep in your mind. In Jesus's Genealogy, you find that everybody will have a place to belong. Men and women, wealthy and poor, Jew and Gentile, old and young, educated and illiterate, everyone has a place in God's plan. That's what God was doing through Christ. That's why I believe the message of Christmas is the greatest cornerstone for reminding us of this gift of diversity. John tells us that Jesus came to atone for the sins of just a few people. No, no. It says this, but for the sins of all the world, that Jesus would pay the price for everybody. Everybody that nobody would be left out, nobody would be excluded. In fact, it would be John in his recording of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He would write words like this, I saw a great multitude that nobody could could count before the throne of God, and they were from every nation, tribe, people, and language, and they were standing before the throne, and he goes on to say, and they were worshiping God with hands raised, waving palm branches, going, glory to God. That's the message of Christmas, friends. This is the cornerstone of our faith. It is the cornerstone not just of our country, and that's why I love our nation. We honor and affirm and we protect the importance of diversity. But more importantly, as followers of Christ, as believers, we recognize that this was always God's plan, that he would bring us together and he would celebrate diversity. And it's one of the reasons I love our church, Because our church is 88 nations strong. That's 88. Different nations have already identified and declared, this is my cultural, ethnic background, and I love that I'm a part of Portico. Every time we get together, look at this room. Isn't it amazing? I love this. When I travel, I cannot wait to come home, particularly when it's too one-sided. I love being around all different cultures, all different people. Nothing inspires me more than walking through the church and hearing people talk from all different accents, all different languages, and you mix together so well. That's the beauty of this. Friends, this is what I believe God had in mind. So I want to introduce you. To the wonder of diversity, not only in the message of Christmas, but in the very heart of Portugal. Watch the side screens.
0: Hello, everybody. My name is Leonardo Bonilla. I was born in Cartagena, Colombia. Hi, my name is Ramesh Jayakrishnan. Krishnan. I come from the land of India. Hello, I'm Royed. I, uh, I was born in Cairo in Egypt, uh, exactly here, this place where the Great Nile is.
2: Hi, my name is Asiya and I'm from Cuba.
0: A little bit more laid back. <laughs> People are very warm, very open, very friendly. I grew up in the city of Delhi, uh, which was quite a crowded place. I mean, one of the most popular cities in India. And we have uh, ride ho- riding horses there, and the, at night, on the moon in the desert around the, around the pyramid, it was beautiful.
2: You'd see chickens and turkeys and everything just on the roads.
0: I just got into a band out of my MBA days. The, the lady, she started to talk to me about it, and I started to talk to her about it. And we started to debate.
2: We give each other books.
0: I was taught of Jesus and God as this God in a book that he was not alive.
2: It was actually at a concert.
0: Uh, one of our, our bass guitarists, he actually got saved and... Uh, he started sharing the gospel with me. It was like, I don't I, I need logic. I, I need the logic. That's how he came to me. That's how he approached me all the time, through logic. One of those days, God, I mean, something just came in my heart and I decided to stay home and read this book that was given to me by my bass guitarist. I think that the breakthrough came when, when I started reading the word.
2: One Bible verse that I will swear by, like I will just remember, and it reminds me every day, is John 3.16.
0: And right in the middle of that book is when I I kind of realized that uh, there was something missing and and Christ was the answer for me and that's how I came to know the Lord. And and I strongly believe that through His Word He talked to us and He does it to me all the time and, and I do believe it.
2: That night I felt like I really had a personal connection with God and I decided that I would follow him.
0: Not what gets into the man's mouth that defiles him, but it's what comes out of him. And that responded to my questions, you know.
2: You just feel happy.
0: There's been no turning back since then. I
2: was five, and it was my first Christmas in Canada and I just remember that I really wanted a Christmas tree. I never celebrated Christmas
0: anywhere else. The snow was kind of like this, you know, thing that I saw in books. But I never, uh, before I came to Canada, I never experienced the snow.
2: Is super different in Cuba because we barely have any Christmas decorations. We don't have any Christmas trees and we can barely afford Christmas gifts. So a Christmas tree which is like, I need a Christmas tree.
0: And then, you know, it's pretty cool when <laughs> you have that kind of white Christmas that is the traditional Christmas that is known. My first Christmas was here. I like the
2: candle night in Portugal. So one night when I was five, I was just five, I prayed for a Christmas tree.
0: One thing that we did not have was Boxing Day, so that's definitely something that I look forward to.
2: The next morning, a family friend appeared at our door with a Christmas tree. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad y Dios te bendiga. Ciao.
1: Isn't that great, give a hand. And I'm so glad that we could provide Boxing Day as one of the expressions of what it is to be truly Canadian. You know what I appreciated about their story, that when you listen to them, is not only the diversity of the people that we were interviewing and sharing with you, but the background on how they came to faith in Christ That each of them had a way that God drew them into relationship. Some, it was through intellectual debate and reading and scholarship. And others, it was through relationship and understanding and compassion. See, that's how God works. And the wonder of diversity is it's embedded within God's salvation. And we can never, never forget that. If you're filling in notes today, write this down. Diversity is a gift that is only experienced through inclusivity. We can can talk about diversity. But if we're not inclusive then it's simply knowledge of a situation or a virtue or a value. But if we are, in fact, truly inclusive in our approach to all people, then we've discovered what the gift of diversity is all about. So when I first came to the church, now some of you that have been around for a while, I've been here 16 years, and a few of you may remember this, But when I first came to the church, I thought it would be good to do a little social experiment. So what I did was I got together with our staff and I said, hey, let's divide the room up and let's create geographical regions in the room. So we did sort of neighborhood boundaries. Anybody remember this? Okay. All right. So I divided the room up and we sort of had like the Northwest and the North. And so we got four quadrants identified in the room. And I asked people over the four months or sorry, over the four weeks, of the month, when you come to church, sit in the region that represents your neighborhood. Everybody tracking? So you come in, you'd walk in the room and you go, oh, that's my neighborhood. This is the other neighborhood. So four quadrants, find your neighbor, sit in your, well, I did not know that I unleashed an absolute chaos in our church because here's what I quickly discovered. When people came in, there was a group of people, they go, this has always been my seat. You can't move me. I have been, I was born in this seat. I'm gonna die in this seat. I always sit in this seat. You guys tracking, you understand what I'm referring to? So I walk in the room, and they just had this, like, you try to move me. Just try to move me. And I thought, they're not here anymore. It's okay. We moved them out. But no, there were, there were a group of people They were like, whoa, majorly resilient, and they were not going to move. They were brazen about that. And then there's the other group of people. Now, I know we all have different personalities, right? There's introverts and extroverts, and some people are a little more risk-averse, and some are a little more entrepreneurial, and they're going to try it. So there's the other group of people who went, well, okay, I'm kind of with you, Pastor. I'll move three chairs. Like, whoop. And it's like, big move, but it was like a bold move for them. And they did move a little bit. They got to know a few people. And then there's... Well, you know who you are. You're the extroverts in the room. You're like, oh, right, every week is a different place and different people. I get to move around the room. And so you embrace the opportunity. Do you know what we discovered in that? That there were people, when they began to sit within their geographical region, they met neighbors that they didn't know attended our church. And they struck up friendships because we're a big church. And they realized, in fact, some of them live just around the corner from each other and have still maintained that friendship to this day because of that. But you see, there's something about us that we have this little bit of an apprehension. So when you walk into a room of people and you see there's a few people that you know, but the majority of the people you don't know, what is your tendency in that moment So a lot of people, what they're going to do is they're going to look at the safe route. They're going to go, I know those people. I know I can start a conversation and I can move that way. And we often, we avoid putting ourselves in a situation where maybe we don't know who the people are and we're not sure how to start the conversation. And we absolutely miss out on the wonderful gift of diversity because people are beautiful. People are beautiful. Every one of you. You know, we gather together, and I I just need to remind you this morning because a lot of times we come to church and we bring our hurt and our burdens, we bring our worries, we bring our dreams and our fears, and we play a voice over and over and over in our mind that maybe we're not as good as the person next to us or we're not quite as complete or perfected or put together as the other people around us. But listen to me this morning. In God's eyes, you are a beautiful, beautiful creation. You are filled with wonder and amazement. He's given you gifts and abilities. You could maybe you could be pentatonics, I don't know. But you have capacity, and God just invites us to be adventurous with our diversity. That we be inclusive of people. I remember one of the best pieces of advice that was ever given to me, Doug, when you meet people, don't talk about yourself, ask questions about them. You'll be amazed at what you'll find about people because they have stories that they want to share. They have dreams. They have fears. And all of that begins to emerge when you allow people to begin to talk. So I want us to be a church that really understands that when we come together, one of the greatest gifts that we have is this gift of diversity that we would uh, cherish and treasure every member of God's extraordinary family. See, recognizing and supporting diversity within a theological biblical framework, that's not a weakness. It's a strength. It's embedded in who God has called us to be. The gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to every language, to every ethnicity, to every culture on the face of this earth. And when we embrace our diversity and we become inclusive of all people, we become stronger and we become more resilient. Philip Yancey is a great, great writer. Many of his books, I know a lot of you have read his books, but there was a particular account that he wrote, and I want to share it with you today. He talks about reading the account of the New Testament, and he said, "...no characteristic stands out more sharply than that of diversity. Beginning with the Christian church, they dismantled the barriers of gender, race, and social class that had marked the Jewish congregations." In fact, he goes on to say that Paul, who was a rabbi, he had given thanks daily that he was not born a woman, he was not a slave, he was not a gentile, and then Paul begins to marvel at the radical change and he begins to teach people there is now neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. Diversity doesn't make the church weaker, it makes the church stronger. It allows us to include people in the story of God's amazing grace and to see them flourish and to be strong and to express the gifts that God has given them. We know the power of diversity. In fact, those of you that have financial investments or savings, you go to a financial planner or a savings consultant, what do they tell you to do? To diversify your what? diversify your portfolio, spread your risk across a broader group of investments. That way you can weather uncertainty, and over time you'll have a stronger, more resilient financial plan. Now, I only heard three of you mention that, so you better start investing now, because if you're waiting for CPP, we could be in trouble. Just saying. But when it comes to the church, it's the same that when we grow together and we learn to open our arms and embrace the wonder of all God's creation, that every language, every group, every culture is a part of God's plan and God's love for humanity. It just makes us stronger. I remember reading this little story. I want to share it with you. There was a pastor who had pastored and is actually still pastoring in India. And according to him, here's how he expresses the uniqueness of our Christian message. He said, most of what happens in Christian churches can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. He said, but in my area, in my area, only Christians will strive, no matter how ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. And he goes, for me, that's the real miracle. That when you see that Christ breaks the barriers down and he opens the door for all of us to be one. Diversity is not about how we differ. It's about embracing each other's uniqueness and becoming stronger because of what Christ has done for us. One of the beautiful visuals that I've always admired, I can't even tell you when I began to truly admire this, but all of my life, whenever I see a mosaic glass window, I just stop because I'm usually captured by its beauty. And sometimes it's very intricate work and sometimes it's just a great demonstration. So I have a picture. I want to put it on the screen for you this morning. The beauty of this image is that no one piece of glass in there can convey to you the story. You have different colors, different shapes. The composition is all different. But when you let the artist put it all together, what do you end up with? You end up with a beautiful, reflective story of the power, in this one, of God's saving grace. And the same is true for all of us in the room, that when we allow God to breathe into us, and allow us to embrace our diversity and include all people, we become like that mosaic, that beautiful stained glass window, because the Bible says that to all who had received him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. In fact, John would say these words, For God so loved the... Yeah. And we quote John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. But let's keep going. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I love that. God sent Jesus to save the world. That means every one of us. Every imaginable culture. God's purpose is that people may find their way back into relationship With him. And so Christmas is this powerful and poignant reminder that the God that we worship is the God who intentionally crossed all barriers, all boundaries, that his grace and hope could be heard by all people. I am so glad that in the ancestral lineage of Jesus, there are five women of questionable reputation that there are men of diverse background and diverse ages. I am so glad that God expresses that diversity is a gift, that when we embrace it, it means we will be inclusive and everyone will find love, hope, and encouragement. So how do we apply this? How do we apply it today? Well, the first thing I'd say to you is any time you walk through the doors of our church, go out of your way to make somebody else feel welcome. Because the same way you wonder if they will welcome you, they're thinking the exact same thing. So save both of yourselves a lot of problems. Just say hi. Give each other a hug and say welcome to Portico. Does that work? All right, I got seven of you with me. I think it would be amazing if this church, every time people walk through the door, they go, hi, I saw you last week. Give you a hug anyhow, and we just give each other a big bear hug. Love expressed through genuine understanding opens up the opportunity for great conversation. So I think it's one of the ways we could do it. We should be the most friendly church anywhere. You already are, but I'm just going to amp it up a little bit. Is that good? Here's another thing. How do you really embrace this message of diversity? If you're part of a small group, you're part of our growth group structure here, the next time you get together, invite the members of your group to contribute to the value of your meeting. So maybe this time do food. Have everybody bring a dish that is representative of their culture or bring a story or bring a a reflection that's representative of their culture. Let the wonder of the diversity of your group bring richness to the time of your gathering. If you're living in a neighborhood or you're living in a condo or you're in a building, open your home and your hearts this Christmas. You have people that have immigrated into this country just within the last few months. You have neighbors that you've probably never built a conversation with. Have them over for coffee. Open up your heart. Get to know them. No matter what their background, what their culture, even if they're Portuguese, <laughs> bring them. Just like, just like, you know, I'm just saying. Because God loves everybody. I love you, Joe. (laughs) But it's the gift of inclusivity that gives the greatest reflection of the brilliance of diversity. So this Christmas, I think of all people, we should be the ones not only celebrating who we are as Canadians, but we should be celebrating who we are as Christians because we do have a message of hope for our world. Amen? Amen? Would you stand so I could pray with us today? Father, we're going to take a few moments right now and we're going to worship you and it's going to reflect through a couple of selections of song. But I pray for everybody listening to my voice, those in the room and those online, those in our other campuses today, that we would be the people that this day will choose to mark this season as lives that will open up to others, homes, offices, small groups, wherever we meet, wherever we go, that we will bring the brilliance and the wonder of diversity because, Jesus, you gave your life for us so that we might have hope, so we will give our life for others that they too may know this hope. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.